Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Who is the shy man of the White Mountains? Does Champ really exist? What happens when you build a career that combines passions for the paranormal, history, and political science? Hello and welcome to the 752nd uh, broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on ON 1240 Radio and our 10th year on the air as well. I'm Ben, and those not-so-shy questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, and father, Paul. Uh, Today we bring you a guest who is rapidly becoming known to our listeners and in the filmmaking and paranormal fields alike. And uh, we welcome your calls today. Numbers are 800 uh, 766-1240 that's from anywhere you can give us a call uh, at that number and also send us emails uh, paul at com for those before, during, and after the show and don't forget about our Facebook page because we check that as well alright Alexander Petikov is pretty young especially compared with me but he is already a recognized multimedia professional with global accomplishments Born in South Africa to parents of the form, from the former Yugoslavia, Alexander grew up in the United States. Even as a wee lad, he had passion, was passionate about filmmaking, history, global occurrences, travel, and cryptozoology. Alexander is a 2015 cum laude graduate of Quinnipiac University in Connecticut, and he holds a, a BA in film, video, and interactive media with double minors in political science and history. That's not easy. We first met Alec a few years ago at the Northeast Parafest, and he excuse me, was a colleague from the start. Alec uh, has been on panels on this show before, but this is his first appearance in his own right. Uh, He lives in New Hampshire, and we thank him for making the trek down here to our studio this morning. His website, petakovmedia.com, P-E-T-A-K-O-V, media.com. So, Alexander Petikoff, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. And before we begin, a very happy birthday to our good friend, Stanton Friedman. Absolutely. He is uh, turning, I I, I triple-checked, 84 today. 84. Okay, he's younger than I thought. Yes. Yeah, uh, we we love Stan. Uh, He wrote the foreword for our 2016 book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong. And we don't see him as often as we'd like, but uh, we wish him the very best today. Indeed. So, Alexander, welcome back. And, uh... Give us an overview of your documentaries on paranormal subjects. Sure. Thanks for having me again, guys. It's uh, it's always a pleasure. And again, congratulations on 10 years on the air. That's a, that's a great accomplishment. Well, thank you. So I'm brief, glad you were able to share it with us. Yeah. Indeed. Thanks very much. Uh, brief overview. Basically, I've been in the sort of filmmaking, documentary filmmaking space for, um, you know, three, four years now. And I sort of jumped headfirst into paranormal or rather cryptozoology topics so that's stuff like sasquatch bigfoot the loch ness monster the first sort of real cryptozoology documentary i did was the loch ness monster which i filmed after a visit to loch ness in scotland back in 2015 so that was sort of the first foray into it and then i said you know what's you know what do you have to travel to scotland do you have to travel to these exotic places to explore this kind of stuff no you don't i mean you look at new england we have plenty of sasquatch bigfoot sort of stuff all kinds of other weird stuff bridgewater triangle whatever you want to call it so that was topics that i said hey why don't i just explore those and you know put my filmmaking skills to the test in that sort of arena and that's sort of where i've been at for the past couple of years and it's been interesting you know i've traveled to some other places in the country as well and looked into some other topics and uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun and it's a good ride so so would you say that um, yeah you, know, you, you you sort of mentioned that you can be pretty much anywhere and and dis- and you know research these topics? Would you say that being on the location is more beneficial rather than you know being sort of an armchair researcher? 
Yeah, of course. I mean, I think just getting a feel for an area, visiting a place is, uh, is going to be much better than if you're at home just reading. I mean, I grew up watching documentaries on this subject and reading books about it, so I didn't really consider myself a researcher. I was more of a fan. But once I started sort of getting into my own filmmaking career, I thought, you know, hey, I was inspired by a lot of these in search of, you know, these Discovery Channel documentaries when I was younger. Why don't I just jump into it? And there was this point in time, you know, a couple of years ago where, uh, there's been kind of an upsurge in independent filmmaking online, especially with the proliferation of these streaming platforms, mm-hmm. which has been really great. So I've been able to con- make contact with incredible people across the country who are doing sort of the same thing. They're doing independent documentaries that deal with small town monsters, for example, cryptids, these paranormal events that take much more of a reality-based look at it as opposed to reality TV, hmm. which has, I think, been flooding the... Uh, the, the landscape for quite some time, and people are getting sick of that sort of fake, staged stuff about cryptozoology. I know I grew up in a time, and other people grew up in a time where the documentaries really looked at the subject and took it seriously, and the people involved in it. And that's sort of, we're beckoning back to that period. That's good. good. Yeah. yeah. So people in southeastern New England, which is really our listening area. We have listening area anyway. Yeah, so there's... There's uh you know all sorts of interesting places you know you have the Bridgewater Triangle which is about 15 miles from here as it says right here as the Mothman flies but I'd, I <laughs> I would <laughs> I kind of hesitated on on making that joke but you just did well I know uh, I hesitated though <laughs> okay all right well, we respect that so tell us about your your work there yeah so the the Bridgewater Triangle to folks like ourselves will be familiar of course it's been sort of in the mainstream for you know going on a couple decades now lauren coleman of course a famous cryptozoologist coined the term back in the 70s and the 80s i believe Uh, so it's been around for a while and i felt like it was sort of there's so many aspects that have been explored there's you know great documentaries out on the subject already so i wanted to focus more on a specific area of it and i had this ongoing still ongoing documentary web series which is kind of free-flowing, I kind of add to it here and there, called Sasquatch Out of the Shadows. So I just deal with all sorts of Bigfoot-related stuff. So I said, hey, why don't I look into Bridgewater Bigfoot, specifically just that, as opposed to, you know, doing all-encapsulating, talking about the the UFOs and all the other stuff that's going on in the, in the area, just talk about the Bigfoot. So I got in contact with the director of the Bridgewater Triangle documentary and kind of asked him for some Bigfoot witnesses and people in the area and I was hooked up with a guy named Joseph DeAndre who's really interesting you may have seen him in the documentary he's the guy wearing kind of the safari get up Uh, he's an interesting character and he had some great stories to tell about his days you know hunting and scouring the Hockamock Swamp which is sort of the central part of the triangle looking for Bigfoot uh, especially after having his own sighting so that was very interesting so it was more based around him it was just an interview with him and I kind of filled that in with um, footage from my trekking around the swamp using the drone to kind of get some aerial views, just basically walking around. It's a pretty inaccessible area in some parts. I mean, you fly the drone over and you see just how um, you know difficult it might be to get into some places, especially with things like quicksand and the mud. I wouldn't want to go in there. I mean, I, th- I think that's why it's been very difficult for people to get in that area and why there's been this sort of legendary status around the swamp itself because it's been so inaccessible. Mm, that's true. It's really yeah, it's, people have trouble believing that there's uh, such a wilderness area with like within 30 miles of Boston. Yeah, you know, but there is 220 square miles, I believe it is. I mean, I think I think s- space is one of those things that like 
you know, it's, it's a it's a it's a perception thing. It, if you if you tell someone on the street, hey, you know, there's actually a desert in Rhode Island, you know, people are like, you got to be kidding. But there is, <laughs> and it's right off of 95. Yeah. I believe it's in not oh, Little West Con- Greenwich. Yeah, it's in West I Greenwich. I used to live near it. Yeah, there's just you know, it's a little little like patch of land that's just a desert and has its own flora. Exactly. It's like you know, it's it's one of those one of those things where perception really plays a big part in how how you view the world around you. Um, and what I was I was gonna say was I was actually doing a little bit of research the other day. Uh, someone I was talking to was talking about um, you know Kundalini meditation and all that that that. Uh, crap, for lack of a better word, it's 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 basically like like supposed to be trans transcendental meditation uh, that's supposed to like um, uh, make your soul ascend or some some spiritualist stuff. But it's it, it's an interesting idea. It's based on some some yogi or whatever from like the 1800s who who thought who brought it up or something like that. I can't remember the story behind it, but. Regardless, he was mentioning to me, he was like, hey, we should go to a flap area and, like, you know, meditate and stuff. And he was like, what's the closest one? And I was like, probably, like, you know, Freetown State Forest. Because it's like, you know, there's all sorts of stuff going on in the Bridgewater Triangle. And we've, we brought up, you know, the Bougere anomaly. So uh, that, for some reason, popped into my head. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to look at a map. So I was looking, I was looking at this, this government website that had, like, you know, um, essentially, like, a uh, scale of, like, colors, basically, like, you're looking at, like, you know, um, weather patterns, except it was where gravity was, you know, less powerful, which essentially the darker the color, the less gravity was there. It's, you know, like any sort of, like, dent in gravity, which is essentially the Bougere anomaly, which is, like, where gravity is lighter in certain places, which usually is used as, like, a geologist's tool to figure out if there's, like, oil or, like, you know, deposits of certain types of soil and stuff. So I, I was looking, and some of the deepest indentations were actually, like, right smack dab in the middle of the um, the Bridgewater Triangle, and actually also in the middle of like uh, I think it's where Monsterland is and Gardner, um, that's one of them. And then like right around Springfield, Massachusetts, there was one there, and of course in you know the Connecticut Triangle we've been working in, on for a really long time. And I was looking around and I was just like, oh, that's interesting, like you know just something that just popped into my head, and I don't know why I. I felt the need to, like, you know, look it up, but, you know, I think just talking about, you know, Freetown State Forest and the Bridgewater Triangle, that's, that just was, I was like, oh, yeah, I was thinking about that this week. So I think it's really interesting that that place has so much going on in it, not just, you know, the Bigfoot, but it's interesting that the stories are so wild and varied because of it, even if, you know, the, the tales of the Pukwudgie that are there, and, like, all sorts of other strange things happening there. Like, I had a guy I used to work with who told me a story about he was dating some girl that lived on a golf course that was, like, right on the other side of the triangle, and she was attacked by, like, you know, black dogs <laughs> that just came out of the forest. All sorts of weird, weird things have happened there. So I think it's interesting that you took a look at something very specific about it rather than everyone else taking the tails and just sort of running with them. So what other conclusions did you draw? Yeah, uh, what's interesting about the Bridgewater Triangle, I think, is that you know, it's one of these areas that's become sort of legendary. And I think with that sort of status, there needs to be come caution because I think oftentimes people will approach an area like the Bridgewater Triangle and they're hoping to see something. They're really expecting to find something. And, you know, pe- the power of perception is a very 
very uh, potent things. So they'll go in there and they'll see something that maybe can be explained in a more mundane fashion, and then it'll automatically will attribute it to well, something weird happened, you know, something that I can't explain. So I think there needs to be some caution, especially with you know a place like that where perhaps there's a ghost hunting team going in at the same time as a Bigfoot research team, and you know one of them makes a tree knock. The ghost hunting team says, hey, we found Bigfoot. I think it, it becomes dangerous, especially in a small area like that. But uh, to deny that, you know, to, to, or you, to use that explanation to say that there's nothing going on, I think wouldn't be fair because there have, there have been really legitimate sightings of all sorts of weird things throughout there. And we know that there's other places like this. And if you, like you're saying with this sort of gravity, you know, is there natural, quote, natural explanations that perhaps are outside of our, uh, understanding of why these areas would be anomalous, you know, chemical imbalances, some, some something with the atmosphere, things like that, that would mm -hmm. portals, whatever you want to call them. And I think this is obviously an area that, that you guys have explored a lot with the flap areas. And then I'm just sort of starting to get into, especially after the Pennsylvania visit, uh, it's really kind of expanding my, my thoughts on this. But I, I do think that there needs to be, of course, you know, sober taking a sober look at things like the Bridgewater Triangle because there's perhaps such a legendary status now. It's almost like an urban legend that, you know, even if some of the sightings may be explainable, there's always going to be something that perhaps is, you know, a little kind of nugget of truth and something that you just can't explain as easily as hoaxing or, um, you know, people having misidentifications, things like that. Interesting. Now, yeah. Uh, yeah, please. Oh, go ahead, Ben. Well, I was actually going to ask about you know other places with legendary status and have have that has that sort of influenced any any of those sites. Um, I guess a good example would be Monsterland. Yep. As has you know from what I've understood of it, I've, I haven't been there. I missed the time that you went over there, Dad. And essentially, it seems like you know a lot of kids go in there and they they may see some stuff, but some stuff is just you know maybe in their imaginations. Would it be possible that legendary status sort of idea applies to that as well. Well, just to clarify, that's in the area of Leominster, Massachusetts, and the area outside the city in the uh, state, uh, Leominster State Forest is actually known to the locals as Monsterland. Yep. So, please. Yeah, no, I mean, it seems like that area, the, from little I know, it was actually called that a, a long time ago, and, and the, you know, the Bridgewater Triangle idea sort of came in you know, in the 70s and the 80s, whereas this Monsterland thing was even predating that because people had had sightings of a monster. So that's kind of what they named it. And then I think of places like Pennsylvania Triangle and, and the Connecticut area. These areas are not very well known, I'd say, aside from these kind of little clusters of researchers like yourselves that have kind of been looking into it as opposed to the Bridgewater Triangle, which has had so much sort of media attention on it. So perhaps there's an element of, you know, influencing that or just that triangle term because... I think even the Ridgewater Triangle, from what I've read, is not really a triangle. It's sort of there's stuff going on on the outside. It's just people have a much easier time imagining something as a triangle because we yeah. have the Bermuda Triangle. That's a term, right? But something may happen 90 miles north, you know, northeast of the triangle. That's still part of that phenomenon. But it's just, I guess, a triangle in our minds, it's easier to encapsulate something like that. So that's another interesting aspect to it. But. Plus triangles are mystical symbols, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's like, you know, it's probably just an archetype in, like, you know, the human DNA or, like, triangles are magic, like, but squares are not for some reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, three sides as opposed to four. Three is a sacred number. Yeah. yeah from way back. Exactly. Yeah, well, they even use triangles in things like drug drug routes, the Golden Triangle. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. in Southeast Asia I've seen some documentaries on that. So, I mean, I think that's more of a kind of a trade route, but 
um, still, it's it's interesting how the triangle again is being implied as a sort of geographic marker. Yeah, it's really interesting how that happens. It's like ley lines. It's similar to that, although I still don't quite get the significance of them because I feel like that. I feel like a lot of the things that have been brought up recently about ley lines, I don't know if I put a lot of stock in. Well, it's one of those dogmatic uh, sort of religious doctrines, you know, that, that goes with the paranormal. Although people don't question it, but. I mean, ley lines, supposedly the lines of energy that sort of form a net over the earth, that kind of thing. Uh, and yeah, you've got uh, the telluric current, you've got things like that that you could call ley lines, but they move. And everybody says, well, well, the sacred sites of Europe, for example, are, or anywhere, are built on ley lines. And you know, maybe, but I mean, the, maybe they used to be ley lines. Maybe they're not because they move. You know, the uh, electromagnetic fields uh, of the earth um, are dynamic. Everything's moving. You go to some stone circles in, in, in England, for example, and I've done this. Some are energized, some are not. Uh, the Scorhill Stone Circle in Devon, where I had some really weird experiences in 1989. Uh, bizarre. Others, you go in this zip, because they've moved, the right. energy points, if that's what it was about in the first place. So Yeah, nothing's ever really static, it seems. No. Pardon the pun. It's really interesting. I mean, I was just at American Stonehenge just the other day, uh, you know, visiting our friend Dennis there and kind of checking out the site. And he's got that great map in the front area with all these kind of stone sites and these sort of ancient sites throughout Europe and throughout the world. And then, you know, some of the ones that are supposed to be in North America, you know, in the Northeast and out West. It's really interesting thinking about this sort of why are these ancient sites, why are these places put where they are? I mean, is it ley lines? Is it perhaps large, you know, mineral deposits that create sort of a strange sort of atmosphere? think of you know the the holy land you know Jerusalem how many how many centuries of conflict there's been around this one area that's just right on this you know what is underneath this ground that makes it so sacred I think of even yeah. in the Serbian context the province of Kosovo you know the sort of the birthplace of the Serbian civilization actually has one of the highest mineral deposits in all of Europe and I'm, I'm sure this would have influenced the people you know thousands oh, of years ago when they're coming to this area saying this is the spot where we'll build the monastery you know and it's interesting because it seems like these are natural explanations but yeah. perhaps this is sort of delving into the supernatural because it's something that we really can't explain but it influences how we feel in certain areas really things like the fountain of youth I mean what what could that have been you know mm. a waterfall in sort of a mineral rich area it's interesting to think about I think there's so many sort of aspects to kind of get into with that but is uh, that like where Medjugorje is as well like right where that giant mineral deposit is I think there is a mineral deposit there I'm not entirely sure I've been there I, I can say from the looks of it it's a very desolate looking area so it's just in the middle of this um, you know part of Herzegovina um, you know part of Bosnia and Herzegovina and it's a very barren like Mediterranean very dry climate just rocks there's really nothing there and then this is where these kids supposedly had this setting of this apparition and you know now it's a, a catholic kind of holy site so it's it's interesting but um, i'm not too familiar with the kind of the mineral aspect of it but it could be it, it very well could be who knows well this isn't quite uh, in the category of local monsters but these these apparitions of of uh, the theotokos of the virgin mary um, are uh, interesting places you're thinking of fatima uh and uh, lourdes in france fatima in portugal and uh if you look back at the history of these places, there's a lot more going on than just app- marrying apparitions. Uh, very, the grottos in which these apparitions occurred to these children at various times uh, are well known as fairy grottos. Going back to pagan times, strange things happened in these areas. Even around uh, Fatima, there were Bigfoot sightings reported. You know, way, way I back. I did not know that. That's 1800- yeah. 
So there's a so this is what we go in and look for in places like Pennsylvania. You don't just have isolated phenomena. There are always others that seem to be connected with it because of the conditions in the area. So that same is true of places like Medjugorje, which has not been approved by Rome, as far as I understand, as yeah, a miracle. Been. Yeah, <clears throat> but nevertheless, that's, that's the, the most recent news I've heard yeah. is that it has it hasn't been right. So <clears throat> we've uh, been given to understand that you are now a cartoon character. If you could uh, tell us, Alexander, about how that. Uh, yes, that's about. interesting. So I'm I'm now a uh, in a comic book, or will be at least. So I, I've actually been working on a comic book with Michael Mitchell, who a you very dear friend, Michael and well. Michelle. Yeah, Michael and Michelle. Yeah, with uh, Mitchell Comics, really, really <laughs> great people. We kind of just started a conversation about you know Bigfoot, Sasquatch sightings in New Hampshire, and out of that came the idea for doing a comic book called Granite State Bigfoot. So I haven't really talked about it too much. We're just sort of starting to release information about it. Um, so this is the second program that I'm speaking about this, and I'll talk a little bit in depth about it. But uh, we basically thought of an idea of doing, you know, kind of just about Sasquatch sightings in New Hampshire, Granite State Bigfoot, that's the title, and then focusing on the 1970s as specifically for the sightings. There's been a lot of sightings in uh, in New Hampshire over the, the centuries, but uh, the 1970s had some particularly interesting ones, and that's an interesting decade because of so many things that were going on, as, as we'll know, as a high strangeness you know, yeah. kind of thing going on at that that's time. That's when I was here. involved with the Warrens and got thrown out of the seminary for being involved with paranormal. <laughs> All sorts of fun stuff like that in the 70s. Right, so we decided to focus on that, and uh, you know, I've just been researching some of the sightings. It was basically research I'd done on my own. There was some sightings. I won't give too much away, but we'll kind of wait for people to discover that on the on their own. But it was sightings that I had either researched in the past or had actually spoken to the witnesses. You know, there's some pretty great sightings that uh, one in particular that's going to be featured in kind of a multiple panel, uh, multiple multiple pages, I should say, in the comic uh, regarding a sighting that happened in the 70s where I actually managed to, I think last year, last spring, I talked to the um, the, the witness. You know, this was back in the seven, like the late 70s that he had the sighting, and it was really interesting because I'd always heard about this sighting kind of on online, and I actually managed to track him down through some editor and newspaper up in northern New Hampshire and he gave me the number and the guy was a little reluctant to talk about it I was hoping to interview him you know in person to put it in my Sasquatch Out of the Shadows series but um, you know he was like you know I kind of like to tell the story once and sort of be done with it and that was interesting because it was a it was a sighting that involved some kind of a structure type thing that's all I'm going to say about that but hmm. from that we have sort of uh, a few main sightings like that that are featured and then some some other ones in a sort of smaller section of the comic so you know I've just seen little bits and pieces of it for now but it looks phenomenal and apparently I'm going to be in the comic as well as a as a Bigfoot sort of researcher which will be interesting so yeah, that's he showed us the th- I mean, yeah, yeah we saw a couple of the panels right, right. Out, yeah <laughs> So that that's pretty cool. I never never thought about that, but uh, that's great. That's that, that, that's that's upcoming. Up. So that hopefully yeah. we're hoping to get that done. Well, it's all on on Michael. I mean, he's the the talent mostly behind that. I'm just doing a little bit of the research. He's putting all the work and all the publishing everything into it. So absolutely, hats. He off does it to all him. himself. It's really impressive. It, it, it is. Incredible. They're yeah. incredible people too. Plus, yeah. he's an amazing artist. Plus, like yeah, I, I have a few of his comic books, and they are. It's it's really cool because like the artistic style is just it's like old school like seventies yeah. comics yeah and it's just like it's all they're all hand drawn and like he laminates them all himself 
publishes them himself. Mm-hmm. I think I paid like five five bucks or something for like a couple of comics, and he was just like, "Yeah, there you go." And like, they're just the stories are just so interesting, and it's just like a mishmash of like different sci-fi things, but it just works, and it's just they're just fun to read, and they're just really great people. Now, yeah, now the absolutely. one you mentioned, that should be ready for the uh, Exit of UFO Festival on Labor Day weekend. Yeah, okay. so as far as I know, um, Michael has said that he's hoping to have it done by the end of August so because we will have uh, the Exit of UFO event and I have the International Cryptozoology Conference in Portland, Maine that same weekend. So we're hoping by that. If not, you can expect to see it at the Lemonster UFO event as well. So yeah, it, it, a Greater New England UFO conference. Yes, uh, exactly. On, uh, Columbus Day weekend. Yeah. So so that's it'll be fun. It's it's going to be great. Um, I definitely recommend people stay tuned, and you know we'll be talking more about it on social media. We'll have some releases as well coming out in the next month or so. So stay great. tuned. Yeah. So I dig it. So who is the shy man of the White Mountains? I've known several, but I don't think they're what you're talking. <laughs> about. So the shy man is actually a term. That uh, the Abenaki, well translated, the Abenaki natives would have called, you know, sort of like a Bigfoot-like creature. The actual word was Tsatiboba, and that's given to me by my friend Michael Eastman, who uh, I featured in a documentary in the Sasquatch Out of the Shadows. And that particular documentary, Shy Man of the White Mountains, that was the title. That was at the Massachusetts Independent Film Festival last August, so almost about a year ago. That was it was a, it's it's a the third episode in the series, but it's sort of stand they all kind of act as a standalone, you know, and um, that was focused on Michael and his research in the White Mountains, you know, from a sort of Abenaki perspective of uh, examining this mystery mm-hmm. and sort of the way he approaches that. Okay. All right, we're going to take our bottom of the hour break here. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Our fascinating guest today and our dear friend Alexander Petikoff, filmmaker extraordinaire. We're talking about Bigfoot and other things going on as far as local monsters are concerned. Stick with us. Hello, this is Manny Brando. And this is Virginia. We're here to tell you our new showtime is one hour later, Sunday from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Oh, good. I can sleep another hour. You do, and you'll be late for breakfast. Owen Radio. Owen Worldwide. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on ON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We're here with our wonderful guest, Alexander Petikoff, filmmaker, uh, Bigfoot researcher, and certainly uh, one of our uh, esteemed colleagues. And uh, so wh- why don't we continue our discussion of local monsters. Um, first of all, you, you mentioned the Pennsylvania Triangle, as we call it, and you um, were with me and uh, Shane Searway and all the headliners, uh, Charles Credo, uh, Ben couldn't make it that time, but this is in um, in May. What was your impression? I know we've talked about this before in the year, but it does kind of fit with our subject. Um, what what was your impression down there? I know we met a lot of folks and a lot of strange things happened. It was it was a lot of fun. I mean, I went in kind of expecting that we were going to talk to a few people, but we ended up talking to you know like a dozen. It was it was really interesting just hearing the sightings especially for me, kind of more on the, the, the cryptid side, the Sasquatch kind of stuff, and the history that's actually you know kind of been in that area, that was for me was really interesting because of the amount of activities and 
behaviors that sort of people reporting experiencing over like a decade time span it's like stuff I've read in across the country in terms of areas that people believe have some sort of Sasquatch activity if you will so that was very very fascinating and like I said the history aspect for me was uh, as a history buff history nerd that was incredible to hear you know the Native American history there Mm -hmm. and just how important of an area I guess this was to you know the people that were living in that area thousands of years ago so that was really interesting I think that um, shaped my perspective of the area, and, and I really hope that I'll be able to return with you guys soon. So yes, that's, that's exactly. Hoping. Yeah. Well, we're uh, planning another uh, expedition out there, and uh, we'll see what we'll see. But uh, just bringing in the Bouger anomaly and other things Ben mentioned previously, as far as geological uh, factors are concerned, the uh, right and right, right on the spot where I had my Bigfoot sighting, much to my shock, and never had to, had that before. Uh, was uh, is right in the middle of the um, the the uh, well what, what our host calls the continental divide, and everybody looks at him. Isn't that in the Rockies? But no, he, he's right. It's the eastern continental divide, and w- which means that the water to the east flows into Chesapeake Bay, and the water to the west flows to the Mississippi River. So that's very ge- geologically interesting, as well as the Bouger anomaly on that very spot. So uh, that's an example of what Ben was talking about. So we'll, uh, it's, a, it's a developing saga uh, for us. We've been working on it for over two years. That's just beginning, because we spend a lot of time on these cases. So we'll uh, be reporting uh, what happens the next time we go. I, I will say that uh, some of the interviews that we did, I'm, I'm currently editing. I'm hoping to put them up on YouTube at some point yes. regarding some of the Sasquatch-related stuff, which I thought was very interesting. So that'll be, uh, you know, that's a work in progress. Yeah. Um, but stay tuned. And Sasquatch Out of the Shadows, if you subscribe to that YouTube channel, um, that's where I Great. post this kind of I was going to ask you to, to, to promote that, which we'll, we'll yeah. do again. And yeah. fact, while we're doing that, uh, let's promote um, your website and Anything else you'd like to talk about? And are you going to have a book coming up besides... Uh, I, I don't know about a book. We'll, we'll think about a book at some point in the <laughs> yeah. future. But um, yeah. uh, we just... My Champ series, so On the Trail of Champ, was just released on Amazon just this past week. So you can go wow. on there and stream it, all all five episodes. Each episode is around 20 minutes. Um, you know, it's. It, I think they're very reasonably priced. Uh, and if if that's not enough, we have a Vimeo streaming as well, nice. and streaming on a site called VidiSpace, which I think I would recommend anyone who's into the paranormal check out. That's actually started by Nick Groff, you know, one of the big mm. ghost hunting guys from TV, uh, and it's they have in, entire sections of the site dedicated to just paranormal stuff. So they have a whole ghost section, UFOs, haunted, cryptid. So there's a lot of documentaries. So filmmakers are actually beginning to make stuff. You know, this is kind of like an Amazon or a Netflix for paranormal stuff. So it's really cool to support that kind of stuff. And then, of course, there's the DVD. If you prefer more of like a physical copy on mm-hmm. smalltownmonsters.com, you can get the DVD on that's there. That's a great site. Yes, yeah. yeah. And Small Town Monsters, of course, all their other stuff. You know, not just because I'm associated with them, but I really, I, I would watch that stuff even before I was kind of connected with them. Well, I'm sure it's, uh, it's great because you're associated with it. That's certainly a fact. Uh, tell us about your experience with Champ up in Vermont. And Champ is the uh, the diminutive nickname for uh, the Lake Champlain monster. It's actually short for Champion. Okay, well, but you should know you're a, you're a long time it's, lifelong. It's, I was making a joke. Lifelong <laughs> devotee of that. I remember sitting up. We have family up there, so we'd be up visiting. We'd go to this restaurant that was on this, all these docks out into the lake, and Ben would be he would need. 
you know, come up and shake a fin, you know. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> you, you have to you have to keep your eye on the seas or the, the 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 water. You I know, never that. know. You I was in the Coast it. Guard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, you know what I, you know what I mean. Precisely. Anyway, that was interesting. So, what was uh, your experience like making that documentary and that series? I was it was interesting. Um, Champ is great, so you know, yeah. How cooperative Champ is, was he? <laughs> unfortunately, not as cooperative as we could have uh, hoped right. for. But Champ is actually, you know, short for. It's basically just the nickname taken from the lake, so Lake Champlain, mm-hmm. which is named after Samuel de Champlain, who's kind of credited as the first European Frenchman to explore the area. Samuel de Champlain, Lake Champlain, and actually it was the, the sh- called the Champlain Sea. Oh, well, that's the name given after, but that was what it was before it was a lake. Uh, my experience there was uh, very interesting. I got to spend some time with some of the main researchers of the phenomena, um, people who are kind of on the lake daily and planning these big expeditions and things like that and talking to a lot of witnesses and that was probably my favorite part was being out on the lake in the boats and doing kind of the research and seeing the natural wonder and the beauty and then talking to the eyewitnesses because that for me was extremely informative you know you can watch something on TV but it's different when you actually get to meet someone kind of talk to them behind the scenes and then interview them you, know, you just see an interview, it's just an interview, but if you actually get to know the person, you kind of understand what they're like and their mannerisms and, and you know whether you trust them or not. And meeting some of the witnesses was really interesting because you kind of gain that insight into them as people. And it really leaves you saying, this, this person really saw something. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say they saw a log or a fish or something like that. They truly believe they saw something that cannot be conventionally explained. And that left an imprint in me. I don't know what they saw, and I'm not going to pretend to have the answer. I'm just going to portray their experience as accurately as I can without sort of twisting it or turning it into something that they you know, didn't want to be kind of put out there. So that's that's the way I kind of approached the, yeah. the eyewitness. But like I said, that was probably one of the best aspects of it was talking to the eyewitnesses. Just to give a little geographic uh, context, uh, on the uh, we- the eastern side of Lake Champlain, which is a very long lake, uh, is Vermont. And on the western side is New York State. And then the north is the province of Quebec. And I'm not the international boundary runs right across the very top of the lake yep. kind of thing. And there have been sightings on both the Canadian side and the U.S. side. Uh, so apparently um, uh, Champ does not need a passport. Uh, it's not enforced. So uh, that sort of thing. But uh, it just sounds like a, a terrific experience up there. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's about 120 miles long mm. and 12 miles wide at its widest. So it's m- absolutely massive. If you go to Burlington, that's right on the water. Water, and it's right yeah. near one of the widest sections of the lake, yep. which surprisingly is not where a majority of the sightings happen. They mm-hmm. actually happen in other areas. But something I didn't know even was that there is 120,000 acres of marshland that abut the lake, which add additional waterways. So that's mostly on the New York side. Both sides. Both so sides? there's okay. multiple ri- major rivers such as the Osable, uh, the Winooski River on the Vermont side, the Osable on the New York side, where these rivers flow into the lake and there's marshes surrounding them and that's where a lot of the fish hang out so you've got these big fish like the sturgeon Mm. the Winooski rivers where the landlocked salmon salmon actually go to spawn and there's been a lot of sightings by these rivers you've got Otter Creek down in the kind of more southern part of the lake on the Vermont side and there's these I mean it's called a creek but it's actually a massive river it's like 30 feet deep Mm. you know uh 20, 30 feet wide, so it's a massive kind of thing. Same with the Winooski and Osable, and there's been a lot of sightings in those areas. So on the Osable, there was a piece of footage taken, you know, about a decade ago, which shows something very interesting. And then on the Winooski side, there's a boathouse right on the corner where the water comes out, and there's these marshes, and there's been a lot of sightings there. And I got to interview 
the guy who has run the boathouse and it's, it's been in his family for a while. And it's basically a place where you go to rent kayaks and canoes and things like that and it's a really beautiful area. They actually had a sighting where something came on land twice and one of them was, you know, there was a smaller one and there was a bigger one but they came out and the, it was like a boat ramp in the water so it kind of was in the ramp. The guy's sister had seen it and he saw something just kind of go in mm-hmm. and then he had talked about people who had been renting the canoes and the kayaks there who had stuff swimming under them and the dog there was a dog that freaked out and was frothing at the mouth. They saw the head in front of the boat and something in the back. And so it seems like a lot of the sightings take place near the rivers because that's where the fish go. The fish uh-huh. are kind of in that area. So that it's really interesting. But yeah. the entire lake, it's, it's really an enigma. I mean, it's got parts that feel like you're in Jurassic Park. Massive cliffs, these yeah. these dark tangled swamps that feel like they're somewhere in Louisiana. Wow. Kind of like a bayou. It's really, it's a beautiful location. I mean, you can go to some of the ritzier parts around Burlington and golf courses that are right around the water, but you go into some of the deeper parts, and then the entire southern part of the lake from about Port Henry, which is considered the home of Champ, down to Whitehall, New York, which is famous for Bigfoot sightings, where the U.S. Navy was actually uh, founded. That part of the lake is no wider than a small kind of river, so it narrows down, but there have been a lot of sightings in that area as well, which are very small kind of concentrated areas. So it's it's an extremely fascinating body of water, and even though I spent, you know, four weekends there over the course of a couple months, I still feel like I barely scratched the surface. Now how deep is the lake? It goes to about a depth of 423 feet around that at the okay. deepest, and it varies wow. from bay and inlet yeah. to bay. So it's... There's a lot of space, and there's the prospect that there may be caves. So, yep. as I mentioned, it actually used to be part of something called the Champlain Sea, which was linked to the St. Lawrence and the Atlantic, and that's actually what brought a marine life in. So there were whales, there were dolphins, or mm. not dolphins, um, manatees, things like that, that sort of lived in that area. They found beluga whale skeletons in Vermont that were part of the sea, and once the glaciers kind of changed, that's the, the theory at least, that's how the lake got cut off and became freshwater. So there's actually belief that a lot of fish that inhabit the lake, such as the sturgeon, the, mm-hmm. the landlocked salmon, that they're actually creatures that adapted from the ocean to freshwater lakes. So the theory is if champ is real, it would be something that perhaps adapted, whereas you know, fresh, you know the mammals such as the, the whales and things like that died off, being cut off like that drastically. Something else may have adapted, so... So what is the belief about what champ may be? And uh, obviously there would have to be a a breeding population unless this is some kind of multiversal come-and-go kind of thing. Um, which so what's what are the beliefs on that? Is it from the people you interview? So, so the main the main theory that sort of is the most popular, I guess, in pop culture and everything, is that it's some sort of ancient marine reptile, like a plesiosaur, something like that, mm. which would have been prehistoric, you know, millions of years old, kind of dinosaur-like creature, or an aquatic reptile with flippers and a long neck. That's sort of what the descriptions sort of describe. Uh, one of the other theories that it's perhaps some sort of a giant form of turtle you know, that has sort of a long neck. And if you see some regular turtles can actually strek the, stretch their neck to some pretty incredible length. So that's maybe another theory, and that would explain sort of how elusive it is and why it doesn't need to come up for air as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been other theories that perhaps it's, it is some form of ancient whale or something prehistoric-looking whale that's adapted. But I think... You'd see there'd be a lot more sightings if that were the case. Yeah, I mean, there are many sightings. Yeah. There are many sightings, but there's of course the the phenomena that there's possibly echolocation, 
which is a noise that's only really found in whales that have been recorded in the lake by multiple researchers, hmm. you know, of an unknown creature. So that's, I think, the biggest sort of uh, twist in the in the plot. Um, but most people tend to think it's some sort of reptile, amphibian, or some kind of a hybrid, something like that. And then, of course, there's a theory that it's just uh, it's all hoaxes or misidentifications or people seeing logs floating or it's like five otters swimming in formation. You know, I think in, in a lot of these lake monster sightings, there is that no that belief that, oh, there's a monster. So people maybe visit the lake. They don't live around water. They see something like a couple of turtles. They say, oh, I must have seen Champ. So there's probably sightings that can be explained with misidentifications. But when you've got someone who's lived on the lake their entire life, yeah. they fish, they know every fish in the lake, and they tell you, they told me very convincing stories of what they saw. That's you know, there wasn't this, it wasn't that. You're left kind of scratching your head, saying, "There maybe there is something." You know, that that's kind of that was what I experienced. So mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting. I think we should uh, not let the show pass without mentioning the the documentary we're kind of all working on on America's Stonehenge in New Hampshire. And now there's no particular monster connection except that there are witnesses who are not yet willing to talk to us about what they themselves have seen regarding perhaps shapeshifters, things of this kind. Uh, and I don't even know the full background. But uh, to me, th- their unwillingness to talk uh, gives, a l- gives a little extra credibility, I think. So um, we're, uh, there are a number of us working up there, uh, all just in partnership, uh, Pentecost Media and us behind the paranormal. And, I'm working uh, on it. We're, we're working at it. We're working it's at a, it. It's a and, work in uh, progress. Now, most people involved will be here next uh, next week for our panel show, so we'll fill, uh, do some more filling in on that. But we were up there very recently, and um, even Ben's mom came up, which was uh, extremely unusual, and... Uh, had a great time. We all had a nice dinner and uh, met uh, Dennis Stone, the, the owner of this wonderful, wonderful site. And I, I, I go way back with his father and that sort of thing uh, many years ago. And a great, um, uh, apparently, uh, prehistoric site, uh, archaeoastronomy, which is the theme of what we're doing. And uh, urge people to, to visit the place, uh, Salem, New Hampshire, for New Englanders. It's not yeah, it's far. not super far. It's like, what, an hour 15? Yeah, for us, yeah, here in Rhode Island, yeah. Yeah, so, from Boston area, it's pretty close. And it's a nice little day trip, you know. Yeah. In the fall, you could go probably when the leaves are changing colors, and it looks great, and you can walk through the chambers yeah. and just... It's a beautiful sight because there's a lot of nature in the area. So. Well, we were up there last August for the eclipse. Uh, one of our producers and the uh, research assistant went up to, just to scout the area for this production we're working on. And um, it was just wonderful. Lots of people, and, and uh, Dennis and I threw caution to the winds and sort of stared at the sun, and uh, now we can't see, but... You know, it's it's a great place to visit anyway. So, uh, okay, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, some of the the uh, I guess non paranormal documentaries that you've you've worked on as well. You've sure. been around to some interesting places and in the uh, lovely vacation land of the North Korea South Korea border. And that's well, I think it. international politics is pretty paranormal. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. There's there's I think there's elements of mysticism and all sorts of oh, forces yeah. at work. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I went to North Korea back in 2015, which was really interesting. Uh, a lot of people will look at me and say, oh, were you crazy? You know, why'd you do that? And I said, you know, I wanted to visit there. You know, something once I got out of college, I said, you know, it was almost like a joking idea. I was just kind of looking, Googling it, and, you know, go to North Korea. And it's actually a lot easier than you'd expect. Well, now it's a little bit more difficult. But, um, you know, I had good friends from high school that were from South Korea, so I was you know, kind of wanted to go there, and, you know, traveling after college, I decided to go there, and North Korea somehow fell into it, so I got to see both 
both sides of the DMZ, so to speak, and how interesting it is. And obviously, going into North Korea was, you know, kind of a government escorted tour. It's very much a propaganda tour. Yeah, I saw the the production; very, very interesting. Yeah, they take you around to their monuments and to things like yeah. that, and you see, you know, their kind of glorious achievements as they would like uh, would like you to see. But uh, at the same time, you do get to see some of the humans there. You get to talk to the tour guides and. You know, ask people questions and sort of you know don't pry too much, but yeah. you, know, you do get to you get you get a, a peek at something that people probably never most you know ninety nine percent of people will never be able to see, and you know we're obviously in the midst of these propaganda wars on all sides, so you know you only get one side of the story, so it's always kind of nice to suspend your belief for a little bit and just immerse yourself and then kind of figure out where you stand on a certain issue like North Korea. So yeah. it's very fascinating, and it was it was probably one of the most interesting places I've been, and I kind of put together a little documentary on it and you know, I, I secretly yeah. filmed in the <laughs> in one of the buses there where I sh- maybe I shouldn't have but it's still it's interesting to have that out there well you're here with us today which is a good sign <laughs> yeah. so uh, I, I just petikoffmedia.com and there, there are links uh, to all these terrific yep. it's a great site there are links to all these, these videos yeah the links uh, I do like photography things like that uh, links to basically all my social media all my yep. media accounts whatever you want to call it if you just go in there you can follow that and, uh, okay. and kind of keep track of things. Well, now, what, what are you wor- getting back to the paranormal realm and uh, the cryptozoology? What, what are you working on next? What did you have in mind? Uh, so, you know, right now, aside from that comic book, which is uh, you know going to be a lot of fun, I'm just kind of working on my little documentaries here and there. A lot mm-hmm. of the the Pennsylvania stuff, of course. I'm yeah. looking into that. I think that'll turn into something important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I want to get those interviews out um, pretty soon because I think that's interesting. You know, I've always got little projects here and there. I've got some other kind of Sasquatch-related stuff. I've got a really interesting project I'm working on with a buddy of mine called the the Wallace Letters or something around that working title, basically involving Ray Wallace, who was credited as the man who invented Bigfoot, if you will. He was one mm. of the original hoaxers out on the West Coast, and uh, a buddy of mine has letters, you know, correspondences with him that kind of show that he was sort of a kind of a lunatic. Um, and, you know, when the guy died, the New York Times said that, Bigfoot was dead. You know, there's no such thing as Bigfoot. It was all this one guy that managed to hoax uh, b- footprints throughout the entire West Coast. <laughs> so y- that that's sort of the, the, the route yeah. it's going down. So it's very much still a work in progress, but we're hoping to kind of have something about that in the fall and, you know, going to be interviewing some interesting people at upcoming events. So should be interesting. Okay. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Uh, as far as uh, Loch Ness was concerned um, and any of these other documentaries, you've been, have you yourself ever had what you believe is an experience, a sighting, uh, seen physical evidence such as footprints, that sort of thing. I mean, uh, what was the story with that? Okay, so, yeah, this is interesting. Um, you know, I, I don't really consider myself, you know, a researcher in the sense that I go out and, you know, hunt Bigfoot. I kind of accompany people to do it. I, you know, I'm an investigator. I like to investigate things for myself and read about them. But in terms of sightings, I've never really had a visual sighting aside from strange lights and in the sky and in Pennsylvania. I saw some sort of weird li- red light in the woods. Yeah, I was there with you. And yeah, I saw it we were right under yeah. in the sort of the, the, the camping area. But I've never really seen anything like a Bigfoot or a creature. But you know, while I was on Lake Champlain, we were doing echolocation recording. And we heard some strange clicking in the water. You know, I don't know what that mm. was. I've I've been out with people in New Hampshire and in New England doing Bigfoot research where, you know, we found what looks like hair, um, you know, could be of a bear, could be of something else, but it's just interesting to come across that we found possible kind of footprint type things. But um, aside from that, I've never really, I've heard sounds, you know, you hear weird sounds at night. You can't obviously 
all they can't all be attributed to strange creatures. Right, but right. Yeah. Some are more conventional, but I've definitely heard some weird things, and um, you know, I just just like to get out there and explore. And I think that's one thing I really like um, conveying to people is you know you don't have to be some super fancy researcher or whatever to get out there. You can just go out in the woods, have a good time. You know, and and you know, just get out there and explore. I'm really all about the adventure and just getting out to these places. So, even if you don't have a sighting, don't be discouraged because you know, it's that's the nature of the the beast, so to speak. You you don't always see <laughs> things. See what you did there. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, actually, uh, we find uh, in, in places like Pennsylvania, etc. Uh, don't expect anything. Yep. Go out with an open mind and a calm mind, and you, you know, anything can really happen. I think, uh, or not. You yeah. Know. All the you never know. Yeah. yeah. What do you? Th- I've never asked you this before, which is very strange. When we were in Pennsylvania, which is the first, I suppose, case that we have worked on, we're going to bring you into others. You don't know it yet, but we're, you know. <laughs> but uh, well, now you do. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the idea being that uh, do you do you? My method is to put people in different places, especially in a large area like this. Uh, as our host said, uh, you have a lot of cameras. I have a lot of relatives. In other words, they, they own land all over, so you can go any place you want. Uh, do you think it's better to be in a group or to be single like that? Because obviously, for the point of, of witnessing, multiple witnesses are, are good. But that's not always why I'm there, right? You know. Um, and I think if you're in a group, you tend to get, as we did once or twice, get talking and you know that sort of thing. Um, what do you think about the, the, the single stakeout witness method that we use? I think it's interesting. I think there's sort of pluses and bonuses to, to both sides. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a group, I think if you're looking, it depends on the phenomenon. I know with Bigfoot kind of stuff, you know, if they're real, they're kind of, they're, they're portrayed as being curious and, and looking into things like campsites and poking around. So maybe if you're kind yeah. of hanging out at a campsite, you've got a fire, you've got candles lit, whatever, you're just talking you kind of are off guard. So maybe something like that will happen. Like we saw that light, that happened when That's we were right. totally off guard. But at the yeah. same time, if you're alone and you're kind of just totally observing, you are much more aware of something that's going to happen. It's mm-hmm. not going to catch you off guard. Yeah. So I think perhaps a mix of doing both is something. I mean, that's certainly what we did. We kind of split up for the most yeah. part. Shane had stuff go on, and we all kind yeah. of flocked down to him and, and yeah. spread about. But, well, um, that's it. We went uh, back to him for backup. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and uh, there were, we had trail cams out there, and there were... Uh, um, it's just We've talked a lot about that case on the show, and it, it continues to develop, so we'll just keep keep doing that so why don't you give us uh, your website one more time and um sum it up yeah petakovmedia.com so that's p-e-t-a-k-o-v media.com and on there i've got links to all my social media to you know recent kind of uh, interviews and articles about the champ stuff and links to where you can find champ and just some of my other documentaries and other works there's just there's like Tons of links on there. Like you, will, if you just start clicking through them, you you'll be there for hours. Uh, maybe it's too much, but <laughs> that's oh, no, okay. No, there's never enough. <laughs> and then so. obviously on the trail of Champ, that's my recently released documentary series uh, for Small Town Monsters. So check that out. Yeah. And just stay tuned. Basically, that's that's pretty much Great. where I'll leave it. Well, we have a lot of links on our site too. So you're going to be speaking at the International Cryptozoology Conference on Labor Day weekend, uh, yes, which uh, unfortunately conflicts with the Exeter UFO. Uh, yeah, but uh, as we've kind of joked around in the past, we'll have we'll be on two fronts in a way. Exactly. Yeah, that's yes, a good point. We'll so, so I'll be there. Yeah, in Portland, Maine. That should be a great event. If you're into cryptozoology, people like Jeff Meldrum, all kinds of cryptozoology speakers will be there. Bigfoot yep. research, all sorts of stuff. I'll Lauren be talking. Coleman, of course. Yeah. yeah, Lauren Coleman, of course. I'll be yeah. talking more about just the. Uh, 
champ stuff and sort of the, the New England aspect. And then uh, obviously the Greater New England UFO event. I'll be there as yep. well. Everyone in our in our crew of wise guys. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or the the paranormal uh, pals or whatever we call ourselves. <laughs> we need we need a band name or something. We yeah, I don't want to get too organized. We, we don't join. I, I joined Mufon. That's it. Right, right. Because we're all the few. Well, very loose organization. Yeah, but we're all good friends. That, that's the first thing. Exactly. Okay, Ben. So you can't talk about it. Right. That's it. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Jinx it. So uh, let's uh, start our announcements, Ben, and see what's cooking here. Alrighty. So this coming Saturday, which is August 4th, we'll be back at the Danbury Public Library in Connecticut to present a program on Bigfoot, Mothman, Monsters, uh, Mothman and Monsters you've uh, never heard of as well, based on our 2017 book of the same subtitle. Uh, the event brings at, uh, begins at noon, and uh, it's free, so, but registration is required, so sign up at danburylibrary.org. And as we've been saying, uh, on Labor Day weekend, September 1st and 2nd, we'll be uh, back at the Exeter UFO Festival in New Hampshire. Along with us, speakers will include Richard Dolan, Kathleen Martin, Peter Robbins, Mark D'Antonio, filmmaker Jennifer Stein, and uh, our good friend Shane Searway, among others. Our subject on Saturday will be Aliens and Exorcism, Why to Quote Possessed People, Unquote, Report UFO Experiences. On Sunday, we'll do our third annual on-location broadcast of Behind the Paranormal from Exeter Town Hall with a panel of the speakers and a live audience. The event is a great annual fundraiser for the Kiwanis Club Children's Charities in southern New Hampshire, and last year it raised over $9,000 for those. So find out more at ExeterUFOFestival.org and join us if you can. And then on Columbus Day weekend, uh, that is on October 5th and 6th, uh, we'll once again be at the Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Our tentative topic uh, is aliens with or without UFOs. Uh, all, th- all three of our panelists from our 10th anniversary show, including Alexander Petikoff over here, uh, will, be, will be there uh, as well. So you can check that out. That's NewEnglandUFO.com. And it's back to the uh, Danbury, Connecticut Library. They love you there, Ben. They love you. Specifically uh, me, not yes. you. No, 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 I just sort of, dri- I'm the driver. Uh, once again, we'll be back at the library there on Saturday, October 13th for the third annual Western Connecticut UFO Conference. And uh, watch BehindTheParanormal.com for more information. You going to be at that? Uh, possibly. I'm not sure yet. Oh, okay, my my cool. schedule's all over the place. but All right. You can come down here and share a ride if you want. Yeah. yeah we'll, we'll figure we'll something out. Yeah. We will. We'll. Okay, Ben. Uh, okay, well, my ne- actually, yeah, my next book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeists, Parasites, and Parallel Worlds, has gone to the publisher. Not sure uh, how soon it will be released. Or even They're going to say you need more alliterations in the title. <laughs> you you got to get over this alliteration uh, complex, Ben. I refuse. All right. Uh, anyway, the title might not stay in place. It didn't last time, but we'll keep you focused. <laughs> Uh, and then our 2016 book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is finally available as an ebook on Amazon Kindle and Apple iTunes, and it's available in stores as well if you would like a physical copy. Uh, you can always get all our books in print as uh, as well, uh, but if you order them online from either of our two websites, BehindTheParanormal.com or NewEnglandGhosts.com, we'll be happy to autograph them for you. And we, we, we uh, direct you to our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where there are o- almost 800 hours of our shows from the past uh, 10-plus years, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio and uh, all sorts of special shows and podcasts. Uh, also on the website, you'll find direct links to several charities Ben and I have adopted, including USACares.org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, 
Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, and the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, uh, all of whom, uh, whose operators and administrators and founders, in some cases, we know, and we can vouch for these charities. So, Ben, what's uh, in store for next week? Uh, well, we have in store... Um Next week, that's July 29th. Oh, wait, no, this is July 29th, isn't it? Uh, yes. So next week is not July 29th. It is actually oh, August 5th. That's right. Sorry about that. Which is uh, an open line, I wrote the script. open line show with a panel discussion featuring uh, some of our, our fan favorites, which is uh, Shane Searway, Steve LaPlume, and Charles Credo is joining us as well. And, Alexander, are you going to be there or no? If I'm at Lake Champlain, I will call I in. I call in. That'll be <laughs> there we go. Okay. All right, uh, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now.